Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey player. I idolize Dominic Kaczyk. I played goalie because of Dominic Kaczyk. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as the team has over the last, like, five years and just don't hold yourself accountable, I'm sorry. I'll hang up and listen. I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike, an in-depth look and behind-the-mask conversation about the greatest game on earth, where everything goes and nothing's off-limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! Back, ladies and gents, episode 112 with Two Goalies, One Mike, a special holiday edition, best time of year. I'm Johnny Cohen, joined by Dwayne Steinel. We have a recurring guest, one of our favorite at this time of year, uh, rocking it on the NHL Network, covering the World Juniors. Uh, Dave Starman, uh, a big part of USA Hockey, a goalie guy himself, and just awesome, awesome for for the youth of of, of the the next wave of American kids playing hockey. Being able to hear him call games, he's been crushing it all week. Um, how you doing, Dave? Happy holidays, brother. Hey, happy holidays to you guys. Always good to join Goalie Nation here, and and it's it's been a good tournament. It's been a different tournament than most of the ones I can remember. That's it's made it a lot more fun than. Some other years because it's been a little bit unpredictable. Well, you get those two upsets early, like Dwayne mentioned you on the phone, right? Yeah, a little, a little bit. Yeah, no, yeah day one where let's see, the Czechs beat Canada. Yeah. And then the Finns lost to Switzerland in overtime. So you had that on day one, which was kind of fun. And, and Canada was I mean, I thought there were chunks of the game where they played well, but I mean they were a little bit of a hot mess with all the shenanigans I that I too thought much that they emotion were. there, right? Like that was that was like building up for a disaster. They could never really get into their groove. I just thought they tried to be – they tried to entertain the crowd a little bit too much and try to entertain themselves a little bit too much. And, boy, did they ever pick the wrong team to try that on. I mean, the Czechs brought back, a, a you know, a decent core of kids from their August win over the U.S., and they're gaining more traction. And to me, like, if you're if you're going to make it showtime, you do it against – the team you know is going to relegation. You don't do it against a team that probably has a chance to, at the very least, compete in your pool. So I thought Canada made a mess out of game one. Since then, though, they have been dialed in and efficient and very good. And, you know, they took care of their business. And on the other side, you know, the U.S., that that game against the Slovaks that they lost. But if you go back and you watch that game, I mean, they won the game and lost it at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, they did a lot of things right. And they had a really bad 20 minutes. And, and the Slovaks had two scoring chances in the second period in that game, and they scored on both of them. You had two goals that bounced off of people. You had an empty netter. So, like, when you think about it, that it looks like a 6-3 game, but it wasn't. No, but it wasn't. It was anything but no, that. No, it was a couple bounces one way or the other, Dave. Like you said, that that's a very different game. Yep, and, that for opening, sure. 
in that opening game against Latvia too, we talk about bounces and just like I, I, I liked early on the kind of style that the U.S. has been playing. They're not just strictly kind of relying on like speed. They're getting pucks on net and they're finding their ways in the back of the net. You know what I mean? From all angles too, from the point, from 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 the sideboards. Like they're just get, they're just playing uh, old fashioned hockey, keeping it simple. You know where. Yeah, I- where you said with Canada, they're trying to try. They're out there trying to impress the crowd, almost like yeah, I, that's what I. They've they've settled down. I like Bedard's game. The last when they would they, would they change the lines, Dave, for Canada's top line? Okay, you're you're gonna laugh when I tell you this. Unless the U.S. is playing them, I have very little interest in watching. So I feel like, you. So my my and it's so busy and I don't enjoy watching the Maple Leaf either, brother. So no. I will tell you this. Now that there's a possibility that the U.S. and Canada could run into each other, I'll probably catch a glance of them at some point later tomorrow, even, you know, once we kind of see how things sort out. But I have not seen Canada play yet. Like, right now, my focus is on on the U.S. last game against Finland and watching that back again to pick some stuff out of it. And then I'll then I'll start to dive deeper into the Germans. So I, I, I might be the only person involved with the World Junior Tournament that has not watched Canada play specifically and the little bit that I did see of them play I was actually watching the other team in the game. <laughs> so I here, here I have it pulling up right now and it was it was a little bit of a line change because you know a lot of guys on Canada are all natural centers on their teams, right? Not just Canada, US too, right Dave? I think the US has six or seven skaters on their team that are centering for their regular NCAA or junior team. So and I, I know that that was a thought process of making sure that they just had some depth there in, in case somebody got hurt. But for the U.S., I can tell you now that with the four lines that they've rolled for four games, they've had two left-handed centers, two right-handed centers. Logan Cooley's taken the majority of the draws. He's been much better on his side of the ice, the left side. But he's actually won a couple of really big offensive zone right side draws that have been very helpful in terms of creating some offense. And I, I think the U.S. would be, it'd be, we'd be gone. We'd be remiss not to talk about. I think they've had excellent faceoff play, and that's something that Rand Pecknold preaches not only with the U.S. team but at Quinnipiac. Can can we kind of take a break right now and talk about your story with him? Um, I have a small connection. My brother played uh, and 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 won you know one of the Man of the Year awards there. He was a backup goalie to Bud Fisher, Mike Fisher's younger brother, but played with Reed Cashman. Knows this staff. Yeah, nothing but good things to say, Dave. Uh, we we're talking off air. You want to you want to tell us how and when you ran into Rand Pecknold back in the day? Yeah, I was I was coaching the New York Junior Islanders. This had to be ninety four ish, and maybe ninety five. And we're playing somewhere in Connecticut, and this guy introduces himself to me. It's Rand, and he was coaching Quinnipiac, and they were about to make their jump from either D three to D one independent or something along those lines. And the rink's about to be built in the next five years. No, this was oh, this was a ways away that. from the rink. Oh, yeah, yeah. ten years yeah. before that. Oh God, yeah, the rink. I don't think the the rink's only what ten years old now. Yeah, two thousand seven. Okay, so so they he he's talking to me. He's like, yeah, because I'm you know I'm really starting to recruit a whole new team and I'm looking for players. And I turned to him and I said, how many do you need? He said twenty five. And I said, I got one. <laughs> and and what do you need? Twenty five. Ah. Yeah. So he wound up, but he wound up talking to one or two of my players that day and. One of them, I, I think he he really liked. I to this day, I'm not really sure if the player ever went there, but but I know that Reed recruited him into 
and brought him in. I just I can't remember how many games he played, but that's when I first met Rand. We've been friends ever since, and I, I really enjoy the guy. And you know, my son skated his camp this this past summer because my son and his son are old fives, and uh, I I have always enjoyed talking to him, whether we're talking hockey, talking whatever. And he kind of lives out here in the Northeast, you know, everybody's just right up the road, right? He's an hour and a half up the road for me, but I, you know, whenever I can, if I'm driving through that area, I try to give him a call and see if he's around and pop in and say hello. I, I really enjoy the guy. It's a really cool story. And he's had a number of assistants like uh, Ben Sire go on to head coaching roles or associate head coaching roles. Quinnipiac has, has found their way through the, the cream of the crop. And, it, and I would say at the top of the ACAC, past 10 years, what Rand's done. They had a couple, they had two appearances in the national championship, right? Yeah, he's he's really done a remarkable job, and he got the new rink built. I'll never forget, they're building the rink. I'm driving through Connecticut. It's one of these times where I called him up. I'm like, hey, bud, what's going on? I'm actually driving through your area. you around. And he says, yeah, I'm actually at the new rink. Come on over. I'll give you a hard hat tour of the rink because they're still constructing. Oh, were they still building all the new weight rooms and stuff? They hadn't even put walls up yet. I mean, it was Oh, it so was you're there cement. right in the beginning. That was it. It was a cement skeleton. The cement was in already, but that's it. And so he's walking me through these big cement rooms that this is going to be the locker room. This is going to be the coach's office. This is going to be this. And they take you up to where the club level is going to be. And they've got a gorgeous club in there. Oh, it's phenomenal. Yeah, and he takes me up there, and we're looking out that long stretch of windows in the back, you know, between the basketball and the hockey arena. He says, and on a really clear – yeah, he goes, on a really clear day, you can – this is the Quinnipiac Valley, and on a really clear day, you can see – the New Haven skyline. And I joke with him. I said to him, listen, stop at the Quinnipiac Valley. I said, the New Haven skyline, I'm not so sure it's a big sell. You know, you've ever been to New Haven. So I, I but well, I mean, you it got yell right there, right? But, but it was funny. So we had a good laugh. But I mean, it was just, it, it was really nice to see it at that point and how excited he was. And I just know that from a hockey standpoint, the thing that was important to him with getting that building in shape was making sure that it was hockey centric not just a big arena. And it's funny because when I was coaching the Memphis River Kings in, in 2000, they were getting ready to move out of the Mid-South Coliseum and into a new building in Olive Branch, Mississippi. And one of the things that we as the hockey staff were doing to help the, the building planners was the little things that make it easier for a hockey team as opposed to just anything else. Along the, like I said, hey, listen, we got to fill water bottles. So can we get a spigot on the bench where we could fill water right on the bench and in the bathrooms. Can we make sure that we've got an innovative idea that spread multiple mass ranks? Yep. Can we get a long stem fountain on the sinks instead of the small ones? So we've got to stick a water bottle under there. We can and fill them up like little tiny things that just made a big difference for being able to fill my water bottle and those long Sunday chowder cup fucking runs. Those things make a difference. They, They make a difference in terms of whether you like to play in a building or not. They really do. Absolutely. I'm a, I'm a big believer if, if, if you can do the, the littlest of things to make the place more attractive, to get free agents in there or recruits in there, whatever the case is, and it's not going to break the bank, then do it. Like, go the extra mile to make sure that we can, you know, we can accommodate the simple. Well, with Danny got there his freshman year, they were still finishing the rank. So he played his sophomore, junior, not played, but he was on the team the sophomore, junior, senior years while they had just moved into it. And Rand and, and Benny Sire were so great. I was coaching an 18U team. We ran into Butcher Gross at a Sega Heart game, and 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 Ryan, uh, Scott McDougal was there. But then Rand was kind enough to set up a visit. We got to go through all of – keep in mind, these are 18U kids that 
they have a shot at D3, right? Coming out of Buffalo, if that. But to see that, to walk through the Quinnipiac room and to have Rand be so great to him and give him a speech, stand-up guy, I'll never forget that. And much love to Peck Nold and the rest of QPAC. Yeah, like I said, he's I've always enjoyed him. I, I like talking to him. He he can be funny, he can be edgy, he could be in you know, he could be what's the word I'm looking for? He could be direct. I just I always have good conversations with him. And I generally pick up something good when we when we chat. You know, like it's just always he's willing to share information. I like that. Mm-hmm. Wayne, I'm sorry I cut you off earlier. Did you oh, no, I just I was mentioning like those little things they do matter so much. Oh, makes when a huge difference. Building, you know, I like that the, the 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 as a goalie, me too, filling it up at the sink sometimes, like you hate having to jam your bottle into the sink just to get it's it's, it's too shallow. Try and get a bottle. Those long those long stems do make a difference, uh so, at least in my opinion. And, and, and you knew that they, they held the national junior camp right at Quinnipiac, right? And I remember some cool graphics coming out of there, but it sounds like you wrote a tight camp. What's it been like for you to follow along this U.S. team's journey? Obviously, you know, um, losing one early in the regulation round, um, not the relegation round, but, the you know, the round doesn't no make things easier, puts, them, puts you on a crash course with Finland to win Group B. What was the atmosphere like with, within the players in the group? And, and and how did you view that going into that matchup last night? Because that was a big game. Uh, you know, I, I, the one thing that I've learned in this tournament is, you know, fear of the Finns. It's just, they're just one of those teams. And I said to the gang yesterday as we were having a production meeting, I said, one of two things is going to happen. I said, on paper, I think the U.S. has been, is, is better for, you know, depth, talent-wise, the whole bit. They're a better team. That's number one. Number two is, the Finns have not shown me a ton through, and I watched all three of their games coming into yesterday. So they haven't shown me a ton. Like, they're good, but they haven't been great. They haven't had a lot of bite to them. They haven't been the typical Finland teams that I've seen in the past. They look just a, like there's just something not there. So one of two things is going to happen. Either the U.S. is going to walk in this game and smoke them, or the Finns are just laying in the weeds, and this is going to be their big game. It's going to be one or the other. And I think we saw more of the former in the fact that the U.S. skill just took the game over. I mean, so like the Finns, for the most part, like they've just been okay. And I, but I think that the the mindset of the U.S. and it's not going to change going into tomorrow. I just think the mindset of the U.S. has been they want to play smart and they want to play safe. They know the kind of skill that they have, but at this tournament, I don't care how skilled you are, skill helps but not necessarily the overriding factor in terms of one-on-one play. And I think that for the most part through four games, they've done a lot of things to facilitate their skill being able to operate closer to the net by getting pucks in and keeping pucks wide and going to the front of the net. And I will tell you this, there's no team in this tournament that scored as many rebound goals as they have. I bet you on it. I mean, they were were 13 goals going into yesterday's game, five run rebounds. I think they picked up two on rebounds yesterday. I mean, they, they are making a living in the grease pan, and they are making a living on rebounds. They've scored maybe two rush goals the entire tournament. The rest of it are just getting to the dirty paint, far pads. Simple back. hockey, simple and smart. Going now, back we back. talked about this before we came on. Uh, about yeah. Fort Sabres prospect, Yuri Kulik, uh, he's, he's shooting. He's got three goals in four games on 23 shots on goal. That's an 11% shooting average. Not terrible, but not what he's been used to. I have a feeling he might get hot. He's got the opportunity tomorrow against the Swiss right after the Finland-Canada game. 
What have you seen from Yuli Kulik in, in, in the games that you have been able to see, or what have you heard about him? Because he's been a piece that me and Dwayne have brought up a, a ton here in the Sabres talk. Where do you see him fitting in with the Sabres? I couldn't give you a good answer on that. I, I'd be honest, I've not seen Agreed enough of him to give you a good assessment. Yeah, you, know, you said before you're kind of concentrated mostly on you know U.S. U.S. hockey, uh, and piggybacking on what you said earlier, uh, you know, living in the paint. Back to what I said too, just. The, the amount of bo- U.S. bodies that are around the net, just the, just how well coached they are, getting pucks on net, making that goalie's life a living hell, impossible for pucks to see. That's how they're going to win this tournament, you know, whereas in years past, like, it's, it's been a little bit different, right? I think it's a good point. Like, you look at the you look at the team that won gold under Nate and the team that won gold under Bob in the last few years. Those were teams where there was a lot of skill straight through and – there might have been more skill than sandpaper. This team's got a pretty good blend of both. And I think they've done a really good job at convincing a guy like Cooley, who's we all know is an all-world skill. I think they've done a pretty good job of convincing him that the more success that they're going to have will be predicated on keeping pucks simple and not attacking through high-risk areas. Now, he got a little bit back to that yesterday, and he, he was a bit of a turnover machine at the offensive blue line. Once they got back to getting pucks wide and letting Goche and and Snugger would get pucks in, grab the line with speed on a, on a wide drive and use their size to get to the front of the net, then all of a sudden, Cooley had all the room in the world. And I think sometimes it takes elite players a little while to understand that the workhorses on their line can do them a world mm-hmm. of good if they let them. And to me, whereas Cooley's stick skills are off the charts, you're getting into – I mean, every game in this tournament is like a playoff game, so there's not as much space yeah. as there's going to be when he's playing for the University of Minnesota against, uh, pick a team, Michigan State, in a regular season Big Ten game where there's going to be a whole lot more room because it's only November. But you so made I, Sorry, go ahead. So he's getting a crash course in intense hockey and playoff hockey and learning how to make better plays when there's not a lot of space to make them in. And I think it's a valuable lesson that sets him up incredibly well for down the road. And I think that you touched on it beautifully last night. 4-2 going into the third. Finland had three or four great shifts where the U.S. were running, whether it was from a bad breakout pass, you know, a little miscommunication. And for those first three, four minutes, you know, like um, they the, that, that Cooley line, they, they were hemmed in, right? They didn't have anything offensive going. After that, you talked about them moving the puck, getting north, being able to, to use your speed to the neutral zone. Ends up in a two-on-two. I think it's Snuggerud shoots a pad, like uh, shoots across the grain, far pad right on Cooley's stick, and you know just goes back to what you said, just how invaluable those those being able to adapt and, and being able to find a way to gel in these types of tournaments in such a short period of time is so important. So as an American, I'm excited to see what I saw to end that game last night. You should be. I mean, I think there's a lot of reason to be excited about a potential run into a gold medal game here. I, Again, I the Finns have been okay. They haven't been great. The Swedes, to me, the Swedes are not scaring me right now as an opponent like they normally have. I don't think they're as – dialed in is the wrong word. I just don't think they're as strong as they've been in recent years, and maybe their best hockey is ahead of them. I still think the Finns have one more real good game in front of them, and it's going to have to be tomorrow for sure. So – you, and you've got a couple of upset teams that are out there too. But to, to me, I think right now, before the U.S. even sees Canada, 
tomorrow's game becomes very interesting because these January 2nd games, I've talked a little bit about it on the air too, these January 2nd games are tricky. And I've watched the U.S. lose a lot of these January 2nd games, and it's been a bad bounce. They get a penalty trouble, a leaker that they don't recover from. Well, they how many quarterfinal losses come from what you're talking about, right? What's that? How many, how many of these quarterfinal losses have come from what you just said? Probably all of them. Like, I go back to 09 and... <laughs> And I go back to 09 with, you know, they, they outshot, I can't remember if they played the Czechs or the Slovaks, but they outshot them 52-17. Jordan Schrader missed a penalty shot in the game, and they did everything they could to win. And Yaroslav Janish, who was the goalie, I think he played in Erie. He played against was, him. He played for the Erie Otters. Yeah. I mean, he was just off the charts great. And so that was He that had loss. the best tournament of his life. Are you yeah, off the see? charts? Dave, see, he, he was, was unbelievable, that, that, that tournament. And yeah, he, was well, he was terrific. And then, off. Jesus, Kyle, let the man talk. <laughs> no, I just then, remember uh, I was in the league when Yanis came back, and he was like the hero of the OHL because he went on this crazy streak. He beat yeah, no, Canada. He, was, he beat all these teams. He was really strong in that game against the U.S. And then, let me see, the following year they won 11, 11. I think they lost to Canada, but that wasn't a knockout game. Then they got it. Then they, there was two thousand twelve, which was the disaster in Edmonton where they. Wound up in relegation. Then 13, they won gold. 14, 15, 16 were the three years where they really had some issues in that semifinal game. And I think all three years they lost to the Russians. And the Donnie Lucia team, I remember, got into penalty trouble. They were down five on three at one point. And a kid who had played for me in junior was helping kill the penalty. And he was in front of his own net. And he launched one out to ice it. And he wound up putting it over the far glass. Which to me, if you did that as a defenseman, I think you should be rewarded for that i mean that's a, yeah, that's a great play but but he sailed one over the far glass another delay game penalty and the u.s couldn't survive that one and then there was there was a game in montreal where they lost to the russians that might have been that might have been the one in 15. i think thatcher demko was the goalie that year and yeah. that was another one where they came up a couple of leakers and and it never came together so like this game and then they played the swiss in 17 in toronto and they won that game two to one. That might that game might have set hockey back fifty years. I mean, that was the worst yes, hockey game I've ever watched. Scary game. And they and they survived it. So like this game can get really tricky because if you're the team that like like the the Germans are tomorrow, they got I mean, nothing to lose. What the, exactly? What the hell did they have to prove at this point? So like you just want to play well, but you can play fast and loose. And the team that's going to be naturally tight, even though I said they're in good headspace. They're going to be a little tight going into this game just because it's no different than when a big favorite plays in the NCAA tournament, the national semifinals and the regionals, or I should say the regional semifinal. That regional semifinal is a one seed, especially if it's like a 116 or 215 matchup overall. That game's impossible for you to go into and relax because you're supposed to win. You're supposed to win big. So the pressure's on to start the game, and that's when weird things happen. So, Wayne, go ahead. No, I just, I was going to say, you know, I know I only have a few, a few more minutes here, uh, Dave, and again, we appreciate you coming on with us again, yes. uh, especially this time of year. It's always good to get your insight uh, with the World Junior Tournament, biggest hockey tournament in the world, in my opinion, and uh, most fun to watch. Um, you know, we talked about Logan Cooley uh, a few minutes ago and, you know, how kind of bright the future is maybe for Arizona uh, with the amount of, uh, you know, potential they have there, especially, you know, American-born players. But, you uh, you know, piggybacking off that, you know, you were the first guy to message me the moment the Sabres fired Ralph Kruger. Like, I think I got a message <laughs> an hour off. He texted me right when it happened. He said, Dave right. messaged me. Dave messaged me. 
It was awesome. Yeah. Best news we ever got, right, Twin? Yeah, you know what I mean? And you said, um, just I think something along the lines of, you know, this isn't verbatim. This is, you know, but I, I don't know a ton of how, you know, um, I, you know, you said um, Don Granado is probably the best hockey mind that I know. And trust me, I know a lot of them. And since he's taken over, there have been peaks and valleys, highs and lows. You know, we had an eight-game losing streak in this season. But since he's taken over, the culture shift for the Buffalo Sabres is uh, – you can't ignore it. And how much better it has become, you know, for this team as a, as a culture in the locker room, on the ice, off the ice. And to see what he's done with particular players, uh, I think the biggest example, two examples would be, you know, uh, former USNTDP Tage Thompson – and then obviously Rasmus Dahlin, who was first overall, you know, he's a generational talent. Um, but just to see how he's turned around their careers, so to speak. You know, I just wonder if you've paid any extra attention because you do know Don and he's coached Buffalo, he's coaching Buffalo now. And just your opinion on just, you know, you got Matias Samuelson, Casey Middlestad, Tage Thompson, just to name a few of those guys that came from that program. Um, you know, your opinion on the direction of the Buffalo Sabres under Don, uh, as we call him here in Buffalo, Donnie Meatballs. <laughs> I think I, I I'm going to stand by my comment. He he is one of the elite minds that I know, and he. But he's here's the beauty of him. As good. bright as he is, he's got a very good way of being able to explain to you yeah. what you need to know, mm-hmm. without him a trying to impress you or b overdoing it. And where a lot of coaches get into trouble, especially young ones, is they try to tell you every player everything that they know. And it becomes too much. Whereas Donnie has figured out, okay, this guy needs to know just this little bit right now. So we're going to focus in on this little bit right now. And then once we get that, we'll move on to the next thing. He really understands the stepladder. And I think a lot of it has to do with his time with the National Team Development Program. And he told me a great story about Keandre Miller. He said when Keandre got there, the first year he was there, Miller was playing five on five and on one special team. Then the following year, it was five on five. And then he was on the other special team. So one year it was power play, no PK. And then the other year it was PK, no power play. Because they didn't want to overburden them. So it's little things like that that he's been around and exposed to, especially with all the elite players that he's worked with, that I think has made him the coach that he is. And the other great story I always tell is he told Charlie McAvoy once when Charlie came to the program, and Charlie's from right here, he's from my hometown, he's from a couple of miles away. And... Charlie, he said to Charlie, you could be every bit as good as Hannafin and Wierenski. And if you want to be, we can, you know, we'll make you that. Because I think Charlie came in feeling he was pretty good, but not at that level. And you can make a case now. He's just that good enough better than, than those two. I mean, they're, all three are terrific. But that was Donnie getting into Charlie's head and saying, if we're going to do this, this is where we're going to start. And this is how we're going to make this happen. And a lot of credit for what Charlie Mack is certainly goes to Donnie Granato. Yeah, you I hear a lot of things. Sorry, go ahead, Dwayne. No, I see you hear a lot of players when they talk about, you know, players that have, you know, been coached by by Donnie in the past. Just the, the comments they make and just how much credit they give to him for where they are as players, you know, not just here in Buffalo, just, you know, all over the U.S. NTD, uh, US national team program. Um, and then that move to move Tage Thompson off the wing into center turned his career around. It really did. I mean, he's part of possibly the most deadly line in hockey right now, him, Jeff Skinner, and Alex Tuck. And, you know, just, you know, a couple clicks for Donnie to see seeing that, uh, the, the potential of that line, getting Jeff Skinner 
uh, you know, back on track because under Ralph Kruger, the guy went from being a 40 goal scorer to being on the fourth line. Uh, you know, it's an ongoing joke here in Buffalo. Every time Jeff scores, uh, you know, uh, Ralph Kruger might shit his pants a little bit, you know, he, <laughs> was just, we, we all felt like he hated him. We all, hey, we didn't understand it. In, in, in defense, and I know you got to go. I know you got to go soon, Steve. I met Donnie for a brief time at U15 select camp at St. Cloud, right? This is back in 06. He was, like you said, awesome communicator, straight to the point, but was doing it the right way. And I can't describe it any better than you did because it really was. He treated you like a pro, and if you were going to act like a pro, he was going to give you everything you needed to succeed. And, and Dwayne, you brought up a great point in that. What I wanted to ask you guys is a quick preview. I know you got to go. If if America wins, and and so does and so does Canada, is there a chance that we could see them in the semifinals? Because Canada, the Czechs won Group A. That is a good question. Because off the top of my head, I cannot remember if it's on the bracketed or received. Right? What's that? It would depend on the Sweden Finland game. Again, I I cannot remember if they reseed once they get through January 2nd with the four teams that are left, or if it's set to a finite bracket. But here's my thing. If the U.S. and Canada play, whether they play for the gold or they play in the semifinals, to me, the fans win. So if if you could guarantee me that those two teams are going to meet each other and it's on the fourth and not the fifth, let them play on the fourth, because that to me is one of the great treats in the entire world of hockey is at the World Junior Championships, especially when it's in either the U.S. or Canada. Why did we two- change away from what we had, the, the, the New Year's Eve game? Remember how it was? Mm-hmm. It has to – because it has to do with how you finished the year before. Like I know, but they always made an exception, Dave. What stopped that? I'm going to speculate here. And the only thing I'm going to speculate is the easiest way to get the U.S. and Canada to meet in the finals is if they come from opposite pools and you suppose – that both teams win their pool entering the medal round. Because they, so, they can't play every year and be in the same group and both win the group and have the easiest yeah. path. That makes sense. Yeah. That's the best answer I've ever gotten, Dave. My, my yeah. one biggest regret uh, as a hockey fan was traveling to New York City for that uh, the uh, the outdoor game. I'm sorry, the Winter Classic when the Sabres played the Rangers and not staying here to watch Team USA play Canada in the outdoor game at the Ralph. The Ralph, including all my Bills games, middle yep. stat for the winner. Yeah. Actually, speaking of which, uh, thoughts on Luke middle stat, Casey's younger brother. Oh, he's been good. I pucks in, pucks out. Simple yeah, he's physical. I like playing him. a playing a unique role. He's got a little bit of a hybrid role there, but he's been physical. He's been smart. He's been fluid. He's he shows no fear whatsoever. Like no, his boxing, he's been bodying. Hey, how about his? How about his like possession and his first pass rate? It's off the roof, right? He's been winning battles all over behind the dots. Hey, I I have I have no problem with his game. Like I, I love, I love it. the way he plays. I want the to take him. He, he came in. <laughs> he, he came into the tournament as a seventh defenseman, and I think he's really done well when oh, he's been given opportunity. Yeah. He's been that guy that you put on the roster and then you try to figure out where he sorts out and you hope that no matter where you put him, it works. Mm-hmm. And every year they seem to – every year that they're successful, they seem to have one of them. 
he looks like he is translating into that guy that if he needed to play up in the defense core, he could. If they need to move him up front a little bit, he could. He's killing penalties up front. Yeah, he's, he's been great. That penalty kill has been crazy to watch because he doesn't seem lost. His stick's in the right lane all the time. His angles have been beautiful on that PK. So who's running the PK for the U.S.? Is it Reed? It's mostly Reed and Rand together. And they I'm telling you, they are running the exact – They've been doing it for 20 years. They've been running the same PK they run at Quinnipiac. It, like, it I've is gone back. so aggressive and great, and I love it. It's 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 structured. It's not over aggressive up ice, and it's how would I describe it? it is, assholes. It's educatedly aggressive in its own zone, and what I mean by that is it's predicated on shot lane presence and pop outs. So you don't you don't have the top guy running all over the place, chasing over position. Is. It's it's one up, and then the two guys on the flanks are really the guys that are doing a lot of the challenging, which allows that. Top guy to drop back if he has to. It's and I, I like what they do one because they're really a lot of seam passes. Well, that's what I like about it is that Rand and 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 Cashman have that top guy able to sink down and cover the teams when they try to run that one three one bumper play, right? And they've yeah, really taken away the flanks. And yeah. and I didn't mean to say oh, aggressive all the time, but just the way that they pick and choose meticulously when to take advantage on the. On the 50-50s or shooting back down to prevent that seam lane. I just think it's wonderful coaching, but also wonderful execution from the USPK. Yeah, no question. They've they've done a really good job at eliminating the bumper from all four power plays that they faced from being influential. And and in those teams' wins, that bumper guy has gotten at least one goal. Yeah. Now I will tell you this: watching the German power play today, it's an interesting power play. It is a bombs away from out high power play. And I don't they think they're going to get two, three, right? Just get it low to high and crash the net. They, they love to shoot it. And I mean, they've got a presence on the flanks. It's not like they've got, you know, it's not like they've got Brock Besser sitting there, like waiting to yeah. let one rip seamlessly. I mean, they've, they've got some skill up there, but it's not like, it's not a power play where quick execution could be a theme, right. but they do, they do handle very well up top. And, they're active, they're accurate. The question for the U.S. is going to be, you know, how well they, how well they handle what's going on up top. Because down low, power play wise, the Germans haven't been incredibly threatening, so they've relied on their points a lot more. Dwayne, I got one last question because I know it needs to go, but you go first. No, I just appreciate you coming on with us, Dave. Uh, you're always one of my favorite guests to have on. Um, I love listening to you in the booth. Um, you know, it's just the extra, it's just the little things he adds to the broadcast, Uh, a little extra insight and he's a little more detailed than maybe other, other, you know, you know, play-by-play guys, you you, you know, or color guys. I've been having my daughters watch Dwayne and they've been more into it than ever. Yeah. And I, uh, I, it's for me, it just having a guy who's willing to add that little extra something, something, it really does go a long way for me as for me as somebody who's watching, who, who knows the game and enjoys those little details. So I appreciate everything you've done on the broadcast and appreciate you coming on with us again. And, uh, you know, next time you talk to Donnie, maybe uh, maybe put in a good word for us. We can get the both of you. Next time you come on, we can get him on with us and you can tell us, tell us some old war stories. Not a big <laughs> Not a big ask at all, but no, thank you, Dave. I really appreciate it, and I mean this from all the the youth of hockey across America. The amount of work and time you put in, even into the intermission plays, I'm telling you, it, it makes makes me love the game so much more to know that 
We have educated coaches teaching the youth and the next generation of American players. And I really enjoy watching you when you call games and me and my daughters have had a blast over the summer or the, the winter break here. Uh, but my one question to you is this, okay, going in against that, that German power play that likes to handle it up high. Do you think Rand and, 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 and Cashman can make an adjustment? Do they stick with what works? Um, do they rotate into that that diamond to, to kind of force it at the top, like you said? Or is it just, hey, let's make them play to our pace? I would tell you this. I think they're going to stick with their structure because it works. I don't see any reason to get out of it. You could tweak just a little, but when you start – you get a little dangerous when you right, start to, right. you know, redo the redo the groundwork. But well, I will tell you this. Picks, yeah. The Germans shoot from up high a lot, so we've established that, right? If Trey Augustine can't stop a 65-foot slap shot, that's on goaltending. They wouldn't be there in the first place. Right. So my personal thing is that they're, it's not a real push-down power play. They would rather keep you up high. So yeah, let, let us be the shot from the point. We'll, we'll we'll do our job as goalies and put it in the corner or eat it. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like. But my question to you, let me rephrase it: Those yeah. layers of traffic that Germany runs. Can Augustine beat his way through it? You know, as a goalie guy, right? You, it's not that first layer; it's the drag across first layer, second layer, third layer traffic. Can is Augustine up to the task? No question. I think he'll be fine Fucking tomorrow. Nights. I love to hear it. Yeah, yeah, I think he's gonna be good. I, it's his net until he loses it. I love to hear it. Dwayne and I talked on my way home from hockey just about that with Caden and Augustine. Dwayne, looks like you were right again, brother. Yeah, I, I think Augustine started the tournament. Uh, had a had a really good game against Latvia. Um, has continued to show, uh, you know, why he's he's the one A there. And I'm um, excited to see the rest of this tournament starting tomorrow against Germany. And um, now that you point out that the the power play of Germany, if they do get a get a chance on the special teams, I'll definitely be paying attention to that. Dave, we yep. thank you so much for your time. Uh, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you and your family. And, mm-hmm. Dwayne, thanks again for you setting this up. And, Dave, thanks for taking the time to get us here on my ridiculous schedule. Um, let's go, USA, boys. That's all I got to say. Let's go, red, white, and blue. Yeah, it'll be fun tomorrow. It's, hey, it's always great visiting with you guys, and we'll get into some more detailed talk when things quiet down a little bit in the second yeah, half for sure. Okay, baby. Hey, you, do, you keep doing what you've been doing. You've been great. And let's uh, – Hopefully in a week here, we'll be talking about uh, an American victory. So happy New Year's to all of our listeners. We've been graced by the man, the myth, the legend, the best on the network, Dave Starman. Episode 112, Dwayne Steinel. I'm Johnny Cullen for Dave Starman. We'll see you after the gold medal game. Hey, everybody, this is Dwayne from Two Goalies, One Mike, a show where we give you a behind-the-mask coverage of the greatest sport on earth, whether it be happening right here in Buffalo or around the hockey world. Now, you might be thinking, hey, Dwayne, why would I want to hear what you two idiots have to say about hockey? Well, first of all, rude. Second of all, we're bringing coaches, players, analysts from your favorite programs from ESPN to Sportsnet to TSN. We're always on it. If you're a Sabres fan or just a hockey fan, you can download us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can check us out at trainwreckSports.com or the Dean Blundell Podcasting Network. Thank you for your support, guys, and I'll hang up and listen. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, undercurrent podcast at NBC Sports. 
Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice in the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have faults. He had the same amount of faults as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.